Good morning. My name is Spencer. I am one of the pastors here. Uh, we're going to be in Exodus 11 and 12 today, which is on page 31 in your blue Bibles. We're actually going to be uh, in this story twice. We'll meet here this week and next week as well. So you can go ahead and flip there and follow along. The text will also be on the screen this week. Uh, so I was told that when you get into your 30s that you get into one of two things. You get into smoke meats or World War II. This is what they say. And four years in, I've gotten into both of those. Not that World War II is something I was disinterested in. I've always been interested in World War II. Uh, my, uh, it was my family's war, so my grandfather, both my grandfathers fought in World War II. Uh, one was a boilermaker in the Pacific Wars. The other one was actually an original member of Navy SEALs Team 6 in the Pacific Wars. Um, he was pretty bad at the bone. So both of them fought in it, and therefore I've always had interest in it. It's always been significant. And that's not just significant to me. It's significant to many Americans. I mean, was, we, we beat evil. We won. It was a big deal. It was a big part of our, of our nation's history. And there's a lot of significance for it uh, us as a country. But what happens is I think oftentimes you get caught up in the significance of the story and how big and how weighty it is. Uh, that you actually miss the details of the story. And for me, that was, that was me. Like, I, growing up, I you know, sat in history classes. You know, I watched Pearl Harbor and uh, Saving Private Ryan. Like, I, I knew things. I knew the big events. I knew the significance, but I never actually sat in some of the story. And over the last few years, like, I watch movies and look at documentary things and, and read about it. Just the, how the, the politics of how we got into the war in the first place. The fact that they're actually... I don't know, when I, I finally realized that there was a war before we got into it, <laughs> like the war just kind of started for me when Pearl Harbor happened, there was a whole war that was going on before, looking at the details of that, looking at that story, how we got into it, the different battles that were fought, the story itself is actually pretty incredible. And what can happen, well, what can happen is, is that you can be so caught up in the significance of it that you miss the story itself. And that is what happens with Passover. Passover, I mean, it's, it's one of the biggest events in the scriptures. I mean, outside of the creation and the fall, in Genesis 1 and 2 and 3, I mean, there's, there's no other bigger moment in the Old Testament. I mean, Passover is huge. A lot leads up to this, and a lot flows out of this. And you can get so swept up in the significance and the weightiness of the Passover event that you actually miss the story. So what we're going to do is we're going to take this in two parts. Part one is this week. And we're just going to look at the story and spend some time in the story. And then next week, we're going to come back to it and look at the significance and how that flows into the rest of the scriptures. So we're going to look at the story today, and then we're going to see why it's really good news. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would help us be immersed in this story and see you so clearly and so wonderfully. That it would compel us to worship to believe, to delight in you who brings redemption and freedom. We ask that you go to work in our hearts and help us respond in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so in chapter 11, verse 1, the Lord said to Moses, yet one plague more I will bring upon Pharaoh and upon Egypt. Afterward, he will let you go from here. When he lets you go, he will drive you away completely. So this is it. 
This is the final sign and wonder. This is the final plague upon the Egyptians. It's all going to end here. This is what God predicted when he called Moses at Mount Horeb in Exodus 3, when he told Moses, I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do with it, do in it. After that, he will let you go. This is the end of the wonders. He does this, and then you are going to leave. And all of you are going to leave. Every man, every woman, every child, every livestock, everyone. One of our students was listening to Chet preach last week. And she said, this is no hoof left behind. Like, this is everyone. And I thought, that is, that is a fire dad joke. I'm saving that for when I teach this to my kids. But it is. It's every single person is leaving once God finishes this. The time has come. Verse 2, speak now in the hearing of the people that they ask every man of his neighbor and every woman of her neighbor for silver and gold jewelry. This was also foretold in Moses' calling. But you're not just going to leave completely. You're, going to not going to, you're not just going to leave completely. You're going to leave with riches. You're going to plunder the Egyptian enemy once I'm through with them. When the total war victory is complete, you will leave with gold and silver and clothing. The Egyptians are going to freely give this to you. Verse 3, and the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. Moreover, the man Moses was very great in the land of Egypt, in the sight of Pharaoh's servants and in the sight of the people. Let's just pause for a moment. Sometimes it's good to look at the Bible and look at the different figures in it and just follow their story. If you look at Moses, at 40 years old, he kills a man and he's scared. So scared that he leaves Egypt and he goes away. And then at 80 years old, he's older, he's weaker. He has a speech impediment. He has self-doubt. He has all kinds of excuses why he can't be used by God. He is not an imposing figure in himself at all. And that is exactly who God uses over and over again. He's so feared, so respected. This is the man Moses was very great in the land of Egypt, in the sight of Pharaoh's servants, in the sight of the people. I mean, Pharaoh's servants feared him. He was the king, one of the most powerful men in the world. He was a, he was a god to them. Moses, in his weakness, he was great to them. Verse 4, so Moses said, Thus says the Lord, About midnight I will go out in the midst of Egypt, and every firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die. From the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on his throne even to the firstborn of the slave girl who is behind the handmill, and all the firstborn of the cattle. There shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as there has never been, nor ever will be again. But not a dog shall growl against any of the people of Israel, either man or beast. You may know that the Lord makes the distinction between Egypt and Israel. So the final plague, the final sign and wonder, Moses announces it. 
to Pharaoh. This will be the devastating blow that ends centuries of slavery, centuries of abuses. This is going to end it. God is going to kill every firstborn male in Egypt. And that's what's bound up in that word firstborn. This is the firstborn males. Every firstborn son from Pharaoh all the way down to the cattle. Everyone is going to die. There is going to be a weeping and a wailing that has never been heard in the land and that never will be heard again. The grief is going to be deafening. And this final part of the plan was also foretold to Moses in Exodus 4. When Moses was coming to Egypt, God made this clear. He said, then you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. And I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. The Egyptians enslaved the firstborn of God. That's what's, being, that's what's being shown here. The Egyptians enslaved the firstborn of God, Israel, for years, abusing them, forcing them to labor, taking their very children, ripping them out of their hands and killing them. This is what the Egyptians did to the firstborn of God. And then, an ironic twist, God is going to bring that judgment on their head. He's going to bring Pharaoh and this nation to its knees. And he's going to bring judgment to this false God and this people that has oppressed them for so long. And some may look at that and go, isn't that excessive? Isn't that a bit much that God's going to end this like this by killing the firstborn male in every household? Let me speak to that for a moment and examine why actually God is just in doing this. First, God is God. He is a righteous judge. And if he deems this as judgment, then it is a righteous one. Now, I know that's not satisfying, and I know how circular that sounds to some of you. But it doesn't mean it's not true. Second, there is a Western kind of grimacing to this story that I would argue is a unique reaction when compared to other cultures in this world and certainly other time periods. That we just, as Western Americans, are largely insulated from injustice. We don't experience the kind of injustices that other parts of the world do. We don't know what genocide's like. We don't know what mass murder and rape and all the horrible things that happen under dictators. We don't know what that's like. We're largely insulated from them. So we don't know what a real cry for justice is. There are moments where we see glimpses of it in our culture. I saw it a couple of weeks ago. There was a man that was sentenced uh, for, for taking his vehicle and running it through a Christmas parade a couple of years ago. Killed six, seven people, killed a child, injured dozens. It was a terrorist attack. Wanted to kill as many people as he could. And at his sentencing, someone yelled out, burn in hell, you piece of fill in the blank. No one looks at what happened with that event 
and looks at that response and thinks that's not merited. So we, we see a glimpse of it. There is, there's, a, there's a call for justice that we feel, that we tap into a little bit. We're just largely insulated from it because other cultures have experienced horrible injustices. And you have to understand, the Israelites have endured centuries, y'all, longer than America has been a country, centuries of abuses, of oppression, of enslavement. They've had their children ripped out of their arms and murdered. They've endured horrible, they've endured the worst. And they desire justice, just as other cultures and other peoples who experience it. They desire justice. They don't see that as a bad thing. They see God as a good, just God, as a good thing. And they are longing for this justice to happen. There will be a painful, grievous wailing in the land of the Egyptians, but not a sound. Not a sound will be uttered against the Israelites. And Goshen, they're going to be okay. So Moses announces this judgment, and then he continues. He says, And all these your servants shall come down to me and bow down to me, saying, Get out, you and all the people who follow you. And after that, I will go out. And he went out from Pharaoh in hot anger. Moses says all of this. And again, the irony is unbelievable. Moses, or Pharaoh, was a false god to the Egyptians. They bowed down to him, fearing him. And Moses says, when this is done, you're going to bow down. And you're going to beg us to leave. Then we'll be free to go. It just demonstrates the power of God here. And then it says he left in hot anger. Now, we don't know why he left in hot anger. We don't know if he is a prophet who is taking the tone of God. We don't know if at this point Pharaoh has already said you're not leaving and he's angry at this. We don't know if he leaves in hot anger. And then God gives, tells Moses this in verse 9. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh will not listen to you that my wonders may be multiplied in the land of Egypt, which was the plan all along. Moses and Aaron did all these wonders before Pharaoh, and the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not let the people of Israel go out of his land. So, Pharaoh says no, which is how this was always going to be. Therefore, judgment is coming. Now, we're going to skip chapter 12, verse 21. And we're going to see how Moses prepares the people for the coming judgment of God. And we're going to see the redemption that he offers to his people. So pick up in verse 21 of chapter 12. Then Moses called all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go and select lambs for yourselves according to your clans and kill the Passover lamb. So we're going to see what Passover means in a moment. But he tells them, go, according to your clans, according to your families, and kill the Passover lamb. Slaughter this Passover lamb. And then he says, take a bunch of hyssop, which is a bush they use for cleansing. Cleansing ceremonies is going to be used as a paintbrush here. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin. 
and touch the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. So, this is what this would look like. You have a lintel at the top, posts on the sides. And he says, slaughter the lamb. Put his blood into a bowl, to a basin. And you take that with some hyssop. And you go and you mark the top. And you mark the sides. You mark your door with the blood. And every Israelite family goes and they find a lamb. And they start marking the doors. He says, none of you shall go out of the door of his house until morning because judgment is coming. You're not going to be out there for this. None of you shall go out of the door of your house until morning. For, verse 23, the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians and when he sees the blood of the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses to strike you. So when... Night falls and the sun sets. Get into your houses. Hide yourself behind the blood. Because judgment is coming. He says the destroyer is coming. So the, the destroyer, uh, this, some look at this and say it's the angel of, God, angel of death. Some look at this at Psalm 78 and say this is a company of angels that are doing this. But it seems to be angelic forces on behalf of the power of God. They're going to come to every single door. And if they see the blood that is on the door... They're going to pass over. This is where we get the term Passover from. They're going to pass over your door, and you will be saved, and judgment will go to somewhere else. Verse 24. You shall observe this right as a statute for you and for your sons forever. And when you come to the land that the Lord will give you, as he has promised, you shall keep this service. When your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? You shall say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. For he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians but spared our houses. And the people bowed their heads and worshipped. Verse 28, then the people of Israel went and did so. As the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. So the people hear this response. Hear what they're called to do. And they're going to remember this. We'll look at this more next week. This is going to be something that they they continue to remember for years to come. And then it says they worshipped. They worshipped when they heard this. You know why they worshipped? Because they've been slaves for centuries. And they want judgment. They want redemption. So they worshipped God. And then they did it. They went just as they were told. They trusted Moses and Aaron. They trusted the word of God, and they went. And each clan slaughtered a lamb. Can you imagine the frantic energy that would have been felt on that day after receiving this? Each family going and making sure they find the lamb, making sure they slaughter it, making sure they get enough blood to put on the doors. Each family marking the doors, the sounds of goats, being slaughtered, this would have been a frantic day as night began to fall. And as the sun set, the people of God hid themselves in their homes. 
and they waited. And as night got darker, verse 29, at midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on the throne to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon, and all the firstborn of the livestock. Can you imagine how intense that night would have been? The Israelites huddled in their homes, waiting for this force to come through. I can imagine that they were probably were huddled as far away from the door as possible. I can imagine that they were huddled together as families surrounding their kids. I can imagine that the firstborn was hugged a little bit tighter. And they're looking at the door and they're trusting that the blood is going to cover them, that the blood is going to hide them from judgment, that as long as they're behind the blood, they're going to be okay, and they wait until finally judgment comes over each house in the land, and then it finally shows up to their door, and they wait, and then finally passes over. And then and the darkness and the silence of the night, when it's all done, there's a cry. And then there's another cry. And then there's a chorus of grief that goes over all the land. Verse 30. And Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians. And there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where someone was not dead. Every Egyptian house has a dead boy. Verse 31, Then he summoned Moses and Aaron by night and said, Up, go out from among my people, both you and the people of Israel, and go, serve the Lord as you have said. Take your flocks and your herds as you have said, and be gone, and bless me also. Pharaoh, the most powerful man, and the land, a king that is feared, is begging them, get out, leave. And he's so humbled in this complete military defeat that he is begging Moses for a blessing on his way out. Pharaoh said so many chapters before, who is this God? And now he's saying, please leave and bless me. By the power of your God, bless me before you leave. This is complete devastation. Verse 33, the Egyptians were urgent with the people to send them out of the land with, in haste. For they said, we shall be all be dead. So again, the Egyptians were oppressors. The Israelites feared them. And now they're saying, get out or we're all going to be goners. Leave. So, verse 34, the people took their dough before it was leavened, their kneading bowls being bound up in their cloaks on their shoulders. The people of Israel had also done as Moses told them, for they had asked the Egyptians for silver and gold, jewelry, and for clothing. And the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, so that they let them have what they asked. Thus, they plundered the Egyptians. So they gather their unleavened bread, 
their families, and they plunder the Egyptians, just as God said. The Egyptians freely giving their riches, gold, silver, clothing, take it, just take it and leave. This is a complete surrender. This is what happened in military victories. Once you surrendered, you surrendered all the loot, all your values, get out. Verse 37, and the people of Israel journeyed from Ramses to Succoth, about 600,000 men on foot besides women and children. They leave. Can you imagine what that was like to finally walk freely? All they've ever known is slavery. All they've ever known is slavery. They've, they've been beaten. They've been mistreated. They've been treated as property. They've had their babies ripped from their arms. All they've ever known is suffering under this people. And not just them, their parents and their grandparents and their great-grandparents for centuries. This is all they've ever known is to be slaves to a people who brutalize them. And they walk freely away. And as the sun rises, they're free. They're finally free. Their redemption is there. They can taste it. They can realize it. They're finally free. And they're leaving the land of sorrow and pain. This moment is huge. This moment is unbelievable. The people are joyous. Verse 38, a mixed multitude also went up with them. And very much livestock, both flocks and herds. And they baked unleavened cakes of dough that they had brought out of Egypt. For it was not leaven, because they were thrust out of Egypt and could not wait nor had they prepared any provisions for themselves. We'll look at more of that next week. Verse 40. The time that the people of Israel lived in Egypt was 430 years. So centuries, y'all, of suffering. At the end of 430 years, on that very day, all the hosts of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. And host there is intentional language. That's military language. They're military victors because of God's work. Verse 42, it was a night of watching by the Lord to bring them out of the land of Egypt. So this same night is a night of watching kept to the Lord by all the people of Israel throughout their generations. And they're free. You got to sit and look at the story. And you got to sit in it and imagine what that's like. you got to put yourself in their shoes and imagine how long and how desperate they would have been, how hopeless they would have felt. They heard about that they were the people of God. They heard all this. this they, had their, they, they knew that they were, they were part of a, of, a, of, a, of a people and they weren't always here that it's not the way it's supposed to be. And they longed and they waited for years and for years and for years, hoping. And then finally, someone came. And they came and they told them, you're going to be free. God is coming. 
He's going to free you. He's going to bring signs. He's going to bring wonders. And they waited and they watched as the first sign and wonder and then the next plague and the next plague and the next plague and the next plague. Each one showing the power of God. Each one showing maybe this is it. All the way to this final one. Can you imagine what it was like to be the people who received this news? The judgment was coming that very night and to receive the instructions for Passover. Can you imagine what it was like to finally say, all right, we're going to be saved, we're going to be free. But we need to take a step of faith here. We're going to trust Moses and Aaron and to find the lamb and to slaughter the lamb and to go to your door and to paint the door and to sit there in the darkness of the night, hoping, waiting for your redemption to come, waiting. And then judgment comes, and how terrifying that must have been. And to hide yourself behind the blood, hoping that that blood is enough to keep judgment at the door. And then finally, judgment hits the land with a force that has never been felt before. And then finally, they're free. The hesitant step out of the house. A hesitant step towards the Egyptians who you used to be so scared of. You've been longing for change. You've been longing for a new life. You've been longing for this. And finally, it's there. And you take the riches and you walk freely to be with your God. Can you imagine what that felt like? If you're a Christian, you don't have to imagine that. That is your life. If you're a Christian, that is your life. Because you, through faith, received a spiritual exodus. This story is your story. Everyone comes into this world a slave to sin, a slave to your desires, obeying the enemy of this world, the evil one. That's what the Bible clearly teaches. You don't come in this world free, you come in this world slave. If you're in Christ, especially if you came to Christ later in life, you can remember what it was like to be a slave to your sin. You can remember what it was like to be longing for change, longing for something different in life, be longing for something to be different. This can't be all that there is. You know what that's like. And then someone came and someone told you the good news of the gospel. Someone told you about the blood of Jesus. Passover points forward to the cross. Jesus became our Passover lamb. Someone told you about the blood of Jesus. Someone told you that he died for you. Someone told you that if you trust in the finished work of Jesus on the cross, that you can hide behind the blood, that his blood will cover you, that judgment will pass over you, and more importantly, it passes on to him. Because Jesus is the Passover lamb that was slaughtered on our behalf 
Judgment ultimately was not poured out on any Pharaoh. It was poured out on Christ. And you heard the gospel and you believed and trusted in Jesus as your only hope and you pointed to the blood as your only hope. And then you walked out free. For the first time, you tasted freedom. The freedom that is found in the gospel. The freedom that is found is that I don't have to obey my sinful desires anymore, that I actually can have freedom, that I can taste and see that God is good and choose to follow him and be with him forever. And you got to experience the riches that come with that. That this military victory that Christ secures for us comes with plundering of riches. And it's not gold or jewels or clothing. It is his grace and his goodness and his kindness and his faithfulness and his gentleness. All of that that resounds into eternity. You get to experience all of that. And what you get to experience in part now, you get to experience in full later. If you're a Christian, this is your story. You know this story. You live this story. You know Passover. But some of you may not be a Christian. And some of you have not experienced this. That maybe you have always said that you were a Christian. Maybe you've, it was an intellectual belief. Maybe it's something you just agreed with. But this right here, this, this is not your life. If you've trusted in other things as your only hope, Maybe it's the things of this world. Maybe it's the riches of this world. Maybe it's yourself that you've put hope in other things. That you've never so clearly heard the word of God. You've never clearly heard the gospel and hidden yourself behind the blood and said, that's my only hope. That blood is my only hope. And you've never experienced what it's like to walk in the freedom that Christ provides. You've never experienced what it's like to not obey sinful desires. You've never tasted and seen that God is truly better than anything this world has to offer, that you've never walked in the freedom that he offers and with him. That if you're honest, you've never had this. And what I so desperately want for you this morning is to finally believe, is to finally Trust in the Passover lamb as your only hope to hide yourself behind the blood that covers your sins. To finally surrender to this God. We're going to do something differently that we, we don't normally do. The band's going to come up and we're going to take the Lord's Supper. If you're a Christian, Come to the table and remember this meal that was instituted at Passover and what it points to. And be thankful for the body and the blood that covers your sins and the sins that you still feel and the stain of it that you still feel. Come and celebrate this meal that Jesus died for you. But if you have never completely trusted in Christ as your only hope, if you've never fully surrendered to this God, 
don't come to that table. What I want you to do is take a step of faith. Just as the Israelites did when they heard the word that said you need the blood to save you, I want you to take a step of faith. And I don't want you to come to this table. I want you to come to the front. I'm going to be up here, and I'm just going to be praying. And I want you for the first time to come up, and I want you to finally surrender your life to the Passover lamb. I want you to finally trust in this God. He's worth it. Being enslaved to sin and following the ways of this world, having one foot in the world and one foot in the church, it's not worth it. But the freedom and the faith and the wonder and the delight and the goodness of our God that he offers and himself by his blood that can be atoned for your sins if you just simply trust in him. That's worth it. You have the opportunity right now to step out of slavery and into freedom. You have the opportunity to experience Passover and Exodus in your own life. And I pray to God that you take it. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would work in our hearts right now. If anyone here is not a Christian, I pray right now, God, that you would so work on their heart. You would compel them to faith in you. You would call them to surrender their life to you, to trust in our Passover lamb, Christ. Give them faith to take a step towards you, to experience you, and to have the judgment that was reserved for their sin pass over to Christ. And for the rest of us, may we come to this table and be so unbelievably thankful for a faith that we did not earn, for a blood that is too precious for us. And may we worship, we ask this in Jesus' name.